welcome to the new edition of TBU Bat Books for Beginners, episode 150. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we will be your new hosts for this podcast. First off, we'd like to thank Dylan and John for all the great work they've done over the past, what is it, Chris, two years or so? Two years, and Dylan and John did an outstanding job. I really enjoyed listening to their take and spin on the respective titles that they covered. I sure did, too. Uh, And Chris and I hope that we can live up to the high mark they set for this podcast. And we hope, as you listen to it, uh, if you have comments, please leave the comments on the site. Tell us what you like. Tell us what we can do better so we can make this podcast the best one we can. Now, today's bat book is Broken City by Brian Azzarello with art by Eduardo Rizzo, which represents issues 620 to 625. But before we get into that, uh, Chris and I would like to tell you a little bit about ourselves and our interests so you guys can kind of know what you're getting into with this. Uh, Chris, you want to give it a start? Sure. Thank you very much, Jerry. I'm Chris, and I currently review the Batman 66 title on the Bad Girl to Oracle podcast, which is from the Batman Universe family of podcasts, and I'm very honored to be part of Bad Books for Beginners and to co-host it with Jerry. I grew up in the 1970s, and one of my first exposures to Batman was on Sesame Street, of all places, which back then would periodically run a short filmation cartoon about pedestrian safety when Batman and Robin chased the Joker. Uh, I think my first Batman comic book that I got was a DC 100-page Super Spectacular, which reprinted Detective Comics numbers 31 and 32, which pitted Batman against a vampire called the Monk. I watched Batman as a part of the Super Friends, another cartoon which ran on Saturday mornings. I had the Viewmaster reels from the 1966 Adam West Batman TV episodes that first featured Julie Newmar's Catwoman, and I also had an Aurora model kit as well. I would watch reruns of the Adam West TV series, and me and my friends would sometimes play-act Batman and create our own little elaborate adventures. I'm not sure if kids do that anymore. Later, my family and I would go to flea markets, and I'd find back issues of Batman and Detective Comics from around the mid-1960s. And mind you, back then, they were only about 10 years old. But to me at the time, uh, when I saw comic books with a 12-cent cover price, they just looked ancient to me. As my comic book collection grew, a friend of my mother suggested I try to find the issue of Batman cover dated from the month and year I was born, and then subsequently find all the issues in between. I accomplished that feat when I started college. Batman numbers 238 and 217 were two holes that took me years to find, and this was in the 1980s and 90s before the internet and eBay. After that, I just tried to chronologically collect backward, and my runs of both of those titles go from 1959 to the present. It's a bit hard and expensive to go back much further, and to find a copy in an acceptable grade, and one that I can afford. My favorite Batman artists in no particular order are Marshall Rogers, Neil Adams, Dick Sprang, Jim Aparo, and Irv Novick. Now, I could ramble on and discuss all my favorite Batman stories, but I really like the Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers run in the 1970s, uh, the Len Wein and Irv Novick Batman run from the late 70s and 80s, and then the Mike W. Barr and Alan Davis Detective Comics run in the 1980s. I was a huge fan of Batman the Animated Series, and I saw the impact it had on a new generation of fans who discovered Batman for the first time through that show and the cosplayers and online role-playing games that they subsequently spawned. I have some mixed thoughts about the current Batman titles at the time of this recording, but I did like the current Batman annual, and I really am enjoying the current Trinity series. So, Jerry, how did you get started in Batman? 
Well, I uh, remember the Batman 66 uh, TV series, which kind of probably dates me a little bit, uh, but it's one of my earliest memories, and certainly my my first media memory, um, certainly my first TV memory. And I remember loving it from the first time I saw it, and I remember waiting all day, oh, it's going to be on tonight, you know, Mom, what time is it, when's it going to be on? And I remember right around my third birthday that TV Guide cover with Adam West uh, was on it. And it was the first thing that I ever tried to collect. I, I kept it and I stuck it in my drawer. And as a three-year-old, of course, it got smashed up and destroyed. But years later, I actually worked at TV Guide. And one of the first things I did was to get a oh, reprint wow. of that issue. So I still have that. I, I, love, I love to look at that every once in a while. I uh, took a detour into horror comics, and I uh, had those Dark Horse reprints of the EC books, like Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, and all those. And I went through a Conan phase for a few years. The past couple of years, I've been pretty much DC only, uh, with a couple of exceptions, but mostly all DC. Uh, my favorite current titles are uh, Gotham Academy, Harley Quinn, and I really love the new Detective Comics. And some of the young animals I'm really liking as well, particularly Shade the Changing Girl. I really like that that title. Um, recent other recent favorites are the uh, the Poison Ivy miniseries, which I thought was terrific, and I I like the Gail Simone's run of Birds of Prey. And I'm probably the only person that really liked her recent uh, Secret Six. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not many. Good of for you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, I tend to like the magical universe, um, and I really enjoyed Black Alice and uh, in that in that run. Um, mm. Other titles I like: Constantine, Dead Man. And I'm not really an expert on the dark universe, but I sure enjoy it when it comes around. It's not too often, but uh, I sure like it. In terms of uh, bat books, the kind of things that I tend to like are particularly ones that deal with uh, Gotham's dark past. I really like Gates of Gotham, which was talking about the origins of Gotham and, and the early families and the family dynamics, and I really get a kick out of that stuff. I'm a history fan, so that kind of is right up my alley. Um, nice. Yeah. I like uh, also like Dark Knight, Dark City which uh, had the history of Gotham, but also had a supernatural element that I really liked. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, good call. Good call there, yeah. Yeah, that's a terrific one. And uh, another one that uh, I liked elements of was Red Rain, which was kind of the vampire Batman. There was, you know, things I liked and things I didn't like about that, but overall that was kind of a neat twist on the character. Did you like the artwork in that one? Uh, that was kind of part of the weakness of it for me. I, ah, um, yeah, that's very polarizing, yeah. Yeah, it was a little scratchy, a little kind of um, cartoony, which is funny for a comic. You know, you think, oh, you like cartoons. Well, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, a couple of things that I like in a Batman story, and I really like when, when Batman is a detective. Uh, you know, I like seeing him solve a mystery and figure out with clues and, you know, work all that stuff out. I'm kind of a uh, also like noir... Uh, mystery stories, so I like seeing Batman as kind of like a Sam Spade character. And the other way I like to see Batman portrayed is kind of like a shadowy kind of mythical figure that people some people think he exists, some people don't. And in the recent Secret Six, uh, Gail Simone uh, treated him a little that way where people weren't really sure if he really existed or not, but um, Catman kind of found him and um, had a little conversation with him, and I thought that was a really cool uh, way to approach uh, the Batman character. Uh, in terms of the art, I really like uh, uh, the art 
when it shows the plot clearly. And it really frustrates me when art doesn't kind of, as a first job, depict what is happening. Um, I like experimental art styles. I can appreciate them. But uh, when it gets in the way of telling the story, uh, that's a, a bit of a negative to me. So I, I don't like that. And I like stories that use color. Uh, I'm not a fan of that grim, dark reality kind of, well, you know, the world is a terrible place. It can be used um, successfully, but I like a, a little bit more color in general. That's why I like Gotham Academy so much. It can show a moody um, environment, like a spooky kind of environment, without it being dismal and boring and kind of monochromatic. Um, and also in the recent uh, Catwoman run that just ended a couple of months ago, um, Eva de la Cruz's colors were really strong, really vibrant, and I really enjoyed that about the book. So that's kind of where I'm coming from uh, as I review these uh, comic books. Excellent. Jerry, I really respect and admire your take on those things and how you look at it with that one eye. I think we're going to bring a couple of different perspectives on what we look at, and I'm really looking forward to get started. Me too. Okay. Today's Bat Book is Broken City by Brian Azzarello and art by Eduardo Rizzo, which represents issues 620 to 625. What should we know about this book, Chris? Well, Batman Broken City originally appeared over six issues starting in Batman number 620, cover dated December 2003, and ran through Batman number 625, cover dated May 2004. Uh, it should be noted that this story immediately followed the acclaimed and best-selling Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee, Batman Hush story arc. And for a little bit of historical Batman context, around this time, the DVD release of Batman Mystery of the Batwoman came out. Batman Broken City has since been collected in hardcover and trade, pa trade paperback editions. Now, also, the artwork for all of the covers was done by Dave Johnson, who was fresh off his Eisner Award in 2002 for Best Cover Artist. Our creative team of writer Brian Azzarello, interior artist Eduardo Rizzo, and cover art by Dave Johnson is the same creative team behind the Eisner and Harvey Award-winning series 100 Bullets, which was done under DC's Vertigo imprint and ran for 100 issues from 1999 to 2009. Now, if you're a fan of the flavor of the creative team of Azzarello and Rizzo, you can currently find their collaboration on a title called Moonshine from Image Comics, where Prohibition New York City mob meets West Virginia backwoods with a bit of supernatural tossed in for good measure. So that's what we got. Okay, thanks, Chris. So let's uh, dig in a little to the plot of Broken City. So the story opens. Batman has Killer Croc tied up and hanging upside down in a Gotham City alleyway. Gotham is a crazy place. He asks Croc about Angel Lupo's sister Elizabeth. Now, she's been missing for two weeks and then was found dead in the Gotham landfill. Croc says he has nothing to do with it, even when Batman points out that she was partially eaten. And that's kind of what Croc does. Batman notices Croc has a new set of teeth, and Batman proceeds to punch some of them out. Where did Croc get the money for these new teeth? And was he paid to kill Elizabeth Lupo? The dead woman's brother, Angel Lupo, owns a string of used car lots, and Batman goes to Angel's place and finds the sex pot Margot Farr in Angel's bed. He lets her know that he's after Angel, 
Batman leaves and uh, he notices Margot leaves after him and he follows Margot as she hurries away from Angel's apartment. Why is Angel hiding? Did he have something to do with the sister's death or is he afraid of someone who did? Now, he follows Margot, but she's attacked by a street tough. Now, Batman saves her from him. Uh, he makes it to an apartment and shouts a warning to Angel, who's hiding there, and Angel jumps out a window. Batman follows him and chases him down an alley. As they run, you can hear gunshots in the distance. Batman continues to chase him, but he comes upon, uh, comes upon a boy kneeling on the ground in front of his newly killed parents. Uh, this strikes a memory in Batman, and Batman, as we know, can sympathize with the boy whose parents are killed in an alleyway. The GCPD come and take the boy away, and Batman calls police detective Crispus Allen, who's investigating the death of the mother and the father. Batman says that Margot Farr might be able to help the cops figure out where Angel Lupo is hiding. Uh, later in the day, Batman calls Detective Allen back, but he's got nothing. Uh, they have a nice little chat, but, you know, there's no uh, continuation of the, of the mystery. Killer Croc, uh, later that night, is getting a private dance at a strip club. The girl straps him to a chair, and then Batman enters and she leaves, uh, much to his uh, surprise and disappointment. Croc doesn't know where Angel Lupo is, but says that Angel has an associate, Johnny Billy, who is a car thief in Little Tokyo. Batman goes to Little Tokyo and pays Johnny Billy a visit. Johnny says that Angel came by looking for a car because he was being chased by Batman. Now, Johnny didn't want any of that trouble, so didn't give him a car. In the middle of this interrogation, someone enters the shop. Batman is struck by an invisible figure and falls down to the concrete. He passes out and, in his unconscious state, thinks of the night that his parents were killed. When Batman wakes up, he goes to a safe house, one of the safe houses nearby, to recover. He fixes himself up and then decides to go visit Penguin at the Iceberg Lounge. He tells Oswald that Angel killed his own sister which this piece of information interests Penguin a great deal and says that Angel has bigger problems than Batman. Angel apparently has made a deal with some newcomers to Gotham, uh, a uh, pair called Batman and Little Boy, and he has something of theirs, Angel does, and they want it moved, quote-unquote. Batman leaves through the Iceberg Lounge to embarrass Penguin. You know, Penguin, it doesn't do for his reputation to be seen with Batman. Uh, as they're going through the club, Batman asks Penguin who would want to know that Angel killed his sister because it was curious that Penguin was so interested in that piece of information. And Penguin says Scarface. Batman sees Margot in the club and who's trying to sneak upstairs and Batman follows her and he follows her outside and some toughs try to gun them down, but they fail. Now, these toughs who have failed in their task go back to their lair and find Arnold Wesker, the ventriloquist dummy Scarface. And Scarface says he, quote, wants him dead. Scarface uh, engages in a little bit of team discipline with the failed uh, gunman. And uh, then Batman enters uh, his lair. Scarface says, no, he doesn't want Batman dead. He wants someone else dead. And when Batman mentions Abel Angel Lupo, uh, the ventriloquist Arnold Wesker shoots the gun. Uh, that he happens to be holding. Scarface stops Arnold from shooting, which is kind of an interesting couple of panels. Uh, Batman takes Scarface with Arnold's hand still in him and puts him under the coffee steamer. 
Batman heads back to Little Tokyo looking for clues. He's kicked in the back by the amazingly quick little boy, a misnamed female partner of the aforementioned Fat Man. Fat Man is in a gigantic uh, fishmonger's apron. He's a big, big man. And Little Boy is a female ninja. And the pair kind of adorably finish each other's sentences. Batman tells the pair that he's heard of them, and people are saying that Angel Lupo has taken advantage of them. That he should, they should be careful of Angel since he had his own sister killed. Little Boy says he's wrong. Angel didn't kill his sister. And the pair tell Batman that they are going to catch Angel before he does. Well, Batman takes that as a challenge and punches his way through Gotham's underworld looking for Angel. He meets up with Detective Crispus Allen again, and it turns out that it's all over the news that Lupo's dead sister was pregnant. Uh, And since this is a big news story, the cops are pulling out all the stops to find Angel. So Batman wonders who Angel was really running from, and if he really killed his sister, and who killed the boy uh, in the alley's parents. Batman figures out and finds uh, Killer Croc, who's got a meeting with Margot Farr, and he wonders if uh, he's going to eat her. And Margot is packing a gun and shoots at the pair, at both of them. Batman tackles her, and she spits in his face. She's a tough dame. Margot says that Angel didn't kill his sister, and Batman uses his detective skills and his detective hunches and figures that Margot has had her killed. Turns out that Margot loves Angel, Angel was overprotective of his baby sister Liz, and when Liz got pregnant from a rich and dangerous man, uh, Liz said that she was going to keep the baby because it was her ticket to the good life. And if Angel found out that uh, someone had got her pregnant, that this person, he would have tried to kill them. And Margo knew that Angel was no match for Liz's baby daddy. So she had Croc kill Liz and dump her in the Gotham landfill. Batman does some more detectiving and figures out who the baby daddy is and gets an address to find Angel from Penguin. Angel has offered to sell back to Fat Man and Little Boy what he stole from them. So Batman goes to the address Penguin gave him and he finds Fat Man and Little Boy waiting for Angel. Batman tells Fat Man that Angel isn't going to give him back their goods but thinks that they've killed the sister and is coming to kill them. He and Little Boy do a pretty good job of beating up Batman, but by and by, Batman is finally able to defeat the pair. You know, Batman's pretty good at that kind of stuff. Now, Angel stumbles onto the scene of the fight, but he can't bring himself to shoot. Angel runs away, uh, but as he tries to escape, he runs into someone that does shoot him. Batman arrives on the scene of the shooting and finds Arnold Wesker, the ventriloquist, and his dummy Scarface, who's just shot Angel. Scarface is still a little worse for the wear from his time under the coffee maker, and his uh, head falls off and rolls around a little bit. Wesker is the one that loved and impregnated Liz. Wesker thought that Angel killed Liz, and so is happy that he killed him, and the GCPD shows up and takes Wesker away. Now, Batman goes to Arkham uh, because the Joker has requested that they talk. Joker says that Batman has yet to find the killer, and he wants to help him. But Batman doesn't understand what he re- what he means, but he remembers back to his youth one day when his parents said they couldn't go to the movies, and he got upset and said some cruel words to them that he regrets and wishes he could change. Now, of course, the next day they do go out to the movies, uh, but that is the night where they were gunned down in the alley. Batman visits the boy whose parents were killed in the hospital, and the boy's in a daze with a gun in his hand pulling the trigger of the empty gun. Uh, Batman searches for and finds Killer Croc, and our story ends with Batman uh, pouncing upon him. So 
that's the that's the story. Uh, what did you think? Well, I'm glad this was the first story that we got to examine. Uh, coincidentally, it's one of the favorites of a local comic shop employee, so shout out to you, Tuba. <laughs> I don't think I gave uh, Broken City a fair shake when it initially came out. To be blunt, I confess I overlooked some of the weight and merits of Broken City over the years. Uh, when this was initially released, uh, we were at the tail end of Hush, which was really, really talked about uh, at the time of the release among uh, the fans I chatted with. It took me a while to settle into the tone and the noir detective voice so soon and so fresh off of the previous events in the story arc of uh, Hush. I really didn't accept Batman Broken City for what it was when at the time I was looking more for an epilogue and, quote, where do we go from here, unquote. Well, right after the events of Hush, so I was I was a little critical and kind of kind of mean toward the story, and I wasn't really familiar with this creative team at the time, even though they had quite an established run on a hundred bullets. Uh, you know what what struck me though was the use of uh, the Wesker Scarface character because I never really. Uh, thought much of him as a villain but this this was just someone who was really nasty and who really fit in the use of the story i thought that was very effective um so i had to do a little research uh now at the time of the release i would say azarello was best known for his work on 100 bullets he's a cleveland native subsequently he would work on a western title called loveless um i did follow his work over in wonder woman and i think he got either more fans when he picked up that with the new 52 release back in uh, 2011 now, just to be fair, though, I think fan opinion is kind of divided because there's been so many incarnations, takes, and versions of Wonder Woman, which then subsequently leads to various fan opinion. Um, I should also note, too, he's currently co-writing with Frank Miller the uh, Dark Knight 3 Master Race Limited series. What I also didn't know doing some research, he's married to comic writer and artist Jill Thompson, who I was fortunate enough to meet, and they reside in Chicago. Um the use of the artwork and voice, I think this is a very good collaborative team. Uh, they both work well together. The artwork is striking in places. I did get a little bogged down with some of the opening narrative with the description of Gotham City, how much of a hellhole it is, how there's always uh, no hope. I, I think that got to be a little redundant to where it was hitting me over the head just a little too much. Um, that said, though, uh, Rizzo... Is, is a fine, fine artist. He, he collaborated, I guess, initially on a miniseries called Johnny Double back in 1998, which I think originally was a character that appeared in DC's showcase title back in the 1960s. Uh, he primarily works for DC. Back in 2001, I think he did an issue of Spider-Man's Tangled Web. Um, the, I can't uh, understate the colors, too. Now, Patricia or Trish Mulvihill also coincidentally is part of this group as well she worked with Azarello and Rizzo back on 100 Bullets and she was the primary colorer for that uh, series from issues 15 through 100 and she is an Eisner Award winner uh, for the work back on this series which she won in 2004 the use of the supporting characters were really great I'm glad we got to see the use of Penguin we, we got to see him get his comeuppance there was a really good back and forth exchange I think it was in chapter 3 of this uh, we've got to see Batman powerful, vulnerable. There we got to see some yin and yang. We got to see some good detective work, which I think is very underrated at times with Batman, and he that is an integral part of the character itself. So I thought that was a good use there. 
I, I think I really undervalued this when it came out, and as I said before, this this should be not overlooked by by good hardcore Batman fans, and this is a worthy Bat book for beginners. What did you think, Jerry? Well, first of all, I agree with you. I think this is a, a good old-fashioned detective story, and I like Batman as a detective. Uh, and it's very noir, and, you know, I like noir movies. I like, uh, you know, comic books where the, it's a strong hand. And while on the one hand the art is a little dark and a little dour, it does have strong colors. So it's not, you know, it is the rainy kind of uh, spooky, you know, hardcore Gotham City, but there are some really strong colors in it. So it's not, it, it's never boring. Uh, it's always good, you know, easy or interesting to the eye. And um, there are a couple of plot issues I have in this. Um, I wasn't sure, you know, with it being a detective novel, um, it, it did take you through a couple of stages of, you know, Batman trying to figure things out. But I wasn't really sure why Batman thought Angel killed his sister. Uh, that just seemed to kind of come out of nowhere, and he kind of insisted on it a couple of times, and I didn't really understand why. Uh, no clues that I could tell really led that way. Um, it just seems like, oh, that's a... That's know. a great point, Jerry, because he seems to be that way right out of the gate, and we are not really given any emphasis or uh, any nail in the coffin as to why, why he's got him dead to rights. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I, I didn't get that. Uh, another thing that I thought about this is, you know, I get it, it's a, it's a noir, and that comes with a, with a certain kind of style and a certain kind of, um, you know, feeling. Uh, the story is very sexual. Margot, you know, has a lot of double entendres. She, she's, you know, shown very scantily clad. You know, this is they go to strip clubs. There are lap dances. You know, it's noir. You know, they have a femme fatale, so it fits the genre of the story. It's not necessarily what I generally like in, um, you know, my comic books, but because of the the genre, uh, I think it it does work um, for me. Uh, Did Rizzo's artwork complement this for you? Was it a little too soft or cartoony, or did it fit and blend well with what your expectations were of this? I thought that it was mixed. I thought that in some, uh, I thought some of the characters were a little cartoony, uh, particularly Margot when when Batman first meets her. Um, you know, she's kind of you know in bed in a little negligee, and it, it's just it looked a little funny to me. Uh, also, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'm glad you said that because that, that's the scene that kind of bothered me too. Other than that one particular scene where she's in bed and um, she asks him to pinch her leg or, or the ankle there, and that was a little bit. Now I, I did get a little bit of a Kyle Baker vibe to that, um, and when I look at this overall series, I see a little bit of Baker, I see a little bit of Tim Sale, maybe some Frank Miller with the Batman dark scenes, and you know yeah. even a little bit of Ralph Bashke of all people with the animation. Um, that said. Uh, is, and I hate to use the word cartoony because I, I think that does this artwork a disservice, but I, I'm trying to say that in a complimentary way. Uh, this does move, and the panel for panel for panel, the, I, I was a little harsh like you. I had some problems with that bedroom scene, but yeah. as the story progressed, I think once I got settled in, this would really work, I think, as an animated tale, I could see it play out that way. I think it was, it's very distinctive. I, I can't, I can't certainly, uh, 
uh, say I hated his style. I, I, I did. I did have a problem with that one scene, and I just wondered what your take on that was. So thank you. Yeah, I, and I when you mentioned Bashki, that, that is so true. I can <laughs> almost picture. You know, I can picture this being an animated uh, uh, short or animated film with uh, mm-hmm. that kind of Bashki esque kind of uh, movement and motion. And you can almost even as you're looking at it, you can almost hear the soundtrack. You know, of the, yes, <laughs> that kind of haunting kind of noirish. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, good point. Um, I, You know, one thing I didn't like was I didn't particularly like how they did Cro- uh, Killer Croc. I thought, you know, he was he was dressed like a pimp, and that was his approach. And, you know, I didn't think he was drawn particularly well. Um, and just the whole style, it was, you know, that seedy, Gotham, noirish thing. Uh, you know, it fit the story, but I didn't particularly care for it too much. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really care for his his clothing. I, I did like well, he's got the rings, the one, the the, the, the rings on his hand, and okay, he's got some bling on. I, I, yeah. I that I found a little more forgiving for me, but um, yeah, uh, it, it almost looked like not so much Killer Croc, but this is like just a regular um, Gotham muscle with yeah. with with some clout to the name, not not as opposed to uh, Killer Croc, um, Batman, Rogue Gallery villain. Uh, that's a good call. Um, what did your take? What was your take on the ventriloquist here? Well, um, I'm not really uh, too familiar with the ventriloquist. It, it took me a little while as I was reading through that first scene where they introduced. Yeah, I mean, I figured it out pretty quick what was going on, but it did take me a couple of read-throughs to kind of sort out the, you know. Uh, where everybody was, where Scarface was, where uh, Wesker was, you know, like just the the kind of geography of everything. Once I kind of read through it a few times, uh, spent a little time with the art and figured it out, I came back to it a day later or two and really liked it. It just took a little time to decode everything for me that was going on. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, again, I, I saw, I read it again, and I thought it was uh, actually pretty interesting. Um, so I, I think it was worth the little bit of uh, trouble it took to kind of work out. What did, did you? How did you feel about that? Uh, I like how the things played out with Wesker. I, I, I was, I think it kind of sort of reinforced it, my my opinion of him, which was a little bit lukewarm, and it had always been tepid up to that point. Which just makes me want to go hunt down the Bray Fogle issues I got yeah. where I think he first appeared in. Um, then we come to the part with uh, the Joker, and I thought that was a good scene, um, which leads us to our ending and the conclusion. Uh, did you did you find it conclusive enough for you? Was it a little too open ended or open to interpretation, or do we kind of think this is uh, what happened that he, the the boy really did do this, or are we? Uh, are we left with something a little more ambiguous? What was your take? I thought it was ambiguous. I thought that this story uh, had a you know good beginning, middle, and end. The you know the Angel Lupo and the sister story, and this thing with the kid was a little kind of tacked on, and I wasn't exactly sure what Joker really meant when he says you know that Batman hadn't found the killer yet. Um, I, I thought it was kind of ambiguous, and I'm still not exactly sure. I mean, what do you think? Do you? Yeah, I you took that the same way. I, I don't know if this was something just to egg Batman on. If 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 Joker is so much in the head of Batman that um, uh, that he knows the detective so well that he, he's never going to be satisfied or, or get that 
particular answer. I just thought that was something to get under Batman's skin a little bit. That's the way I took it. And I, I, sometimes I take things a little too much at face value with not reading into it. But that was my initial spin on it. I am glad we got that appearance, though, because we, we – See, seeing him there just sort of made the story more complete to me, and I, I really don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, the, the the final panel, though, um, my initial take on it was, well, yeah, the kid did, it. but no, I'm thinking, well, it's a little left, it's it's left open that way, and I think it was left open that way for the reason. And can I have that in a Batman story? Oh, if you ask me 10, 20 years ago, I'd say absolutely not. We have to have definitive stuff. Now, uh, (laughs) I'm not as so – maybe I'm a little more jaded, but, yeah, I I think I can appreciate this a little bit better. Um, Is is the conclusion satisfying to me? Maybe maybe it wasn't when I read it initially, but now now I'm a little more accepting of, of how it played out. Yeah, I, I do think that with the Joker ending, you know, as you know, it kind of left the plot up for a, a little bit of a question mark. But I did like the scene, the interplay between Batman and Joker. I thought they Brilliant. had a really yes. good back and forth, and I think that was a strong part. And you know, kind of makes me feel fine, even though that I didn't really understand what they were going on about. You know, I think it it worked anyway. Definitely, I totally agree. Okay, so um, let's talk about ratings. So what do you think? Where, where would you be uh, rating-wise with, with this story? Well, you know, when I initially came out, I, like I said, I, I was very harsh on this. I, I, I thought from an editorial standpoint, I think DC had these guys came out. They had a, you know, it was a good standalone story, but I just don't think it fit in continuity at the time. And I was very, very critical of that. Looking back, I can really appreciate this as a one story with a beginning, a middle for an end for what it was. It just for me had the unfortunate timing of coming out on the heels of the, the Jim Lee, Jeff Loeb hush, which I thought was, that's, that's a lot to ask of any creative team to follow those two guys. So that's to follow this up with a, very, very good, if not great, Batman story. This this was a very, very decent story. Um, you know, I, I also wanted to see what other people's take on this was, and I really started to do some research um, with the collective trades on Amazon. The, the readership gave this 3.5 out of 5. Uh, the website Goodreads gives this the same score, 3.5 out of 5. I think I'd be a little more generous myself if I was to base it out of 5 stars. I would, I would say this is a very strong story four out of five mm-hmm. if, if i was to knock on this a little bit i, I think uh the tone was a little bit overdone with the city we get it we get batman's tortured pass yes we, we we get there was a little things that were dwelled on a little bit too much um we sort of take the circular path with batman hunting down the clues and then talking to the same people over again with a, just one more little scrap of information leads to the next person which leads and so on and so on and so on uh Artwork, I, I aside from that one initial part, just to get in the flow of it, uh, yeah, I'm going to give this four out of five. I, I really, you know, not not the best, but certainly certainly not the worst Batman story I've read, and I think this would be worthy of a bad book for beginners. Yeah, I agree. Um, I though I'd give it three and a half out of five, uh, only because of you know I had I think a little more trouble with uh, Killer Croc. I had a little bit of trouble with the you know overt sexuality, which you know mm. it's just not why I read comic books. Um, and, uh, although, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I would recommend it to somebody who, uh, particularly if they liked, uh, detective-y Batman stories and noir 
uh, books. So, uh, yeah, three and a half, I'd say. And I I can totally see your points. Yeah, terrific. I see yours, too. So, terrific. Uh, so, that's it for our show. Uh, I hope everyone listening enjoyed it. And please let us know in the comments what you think. What did you like? What can we improve? This is our first one, so it's still a work in progress. Uh, we'd like to thank again uh, to Dylan and John, and also give a shout-out to Dustin for giving us the chance to do this podcast. Next time, we're going to be discuss- uh, we're going to be covering Batman, Death, and the Maidens, and we look forward to talking about that book. That, that should be kind of interesting. So I'm Jerry. And I'm Chris. And this is TBU's Bat Books for Beginners. See you next time.